Before we begin the lesson today, I just wanted to take a few moments just to uh, apologize for the technical difficulties that we had on Sunday morning. Uh, as I was getting ready to uh, hit record, to record the sermon, our mixer ended up uh, going down. It, and so while we did have the speakers, uh, I did not have any uh, recording capabilities. And so uh, at this time, I'm going to take just a few minutes to uh, basically re-preach the sermon. However, I'm sure if you watch it on you, uh, Facebook, that this sermon today is going to be somewhat different than it was Sunday morning. And that's just because I can never take two lessons and preach them identically, even if I was to do it the same day, if I was to preach uh, a sermon on baptism on Sunday morning and then a sermon on baptism Sunday night, and I can use the same outline, the same PowerPoints, same everything, my sermons are going to be two totally different sermons. I mean, they'll have still the right idea, uh, but just the way that uh, the communication flows, uh, it will be different. So I just wanted to clarify that but I do thank you all who uh, tune in and listen to our lessons. We appreciate you, and, and we hope that these lessons are beneficial to you all. And, and so <clears throat> on Sunday morning, we continued our, our thoughts of uh, coming from a Christian perspective. And so we talked about the idea of death. And so the scriptures speak of death in, in two different manners, uh, mainly. Uh, you've got the spiritual death, which as Christians, we should absolutely fear. We should concern ourselves with spiritual death. However, there there's the sense of the physical death that so many people struggle with. And Jesus even saw that struggle <clears throat> that people had when when Lazarus died and, and Martha and Mary and the, and you know they were responding with or coming to Jesus saying, Well, Lord, if only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And so even and they believed in what Jesus was doing. They believed in his work. So there was no question as to whether or not uh, mankind would continue to live on uh, as far as they were concerned, but they still struggled with the idea of that physical separation that they had with their loved ones. And and, and uh, so for a lot of times, the feelings of death, as far as physical death is concerned, is that people view death as as that it's cruel and that it's, it's not kind to us. And yet, I, I would submit to you that Death is neither cruel nor kind. It just simply is. And, and I know that that might seem heartless and that might not seem, uh, that this just kind of sweeping under the rug, you know, just kind of accepting it for what it is. But that, that's, you know, we, maybe that's just the way I have my co coping mechanism. And so, uh, the way that, uh, I believe a healthy view of death is that when we view death as being what it is that it just is it's it it is a curse for mankind uh that it does cause grief and it does cause sadness but understand that death and life both are temporary as in the sense of now uh spiritual death is not spiritual death is for eternity Spiritual life is for eternity, but all things are temporary as far as 
this world, the mountains, the oceans, the, the stars, the planets, the, the galaxies, our bodies, the pews that we sit in, the cars that we drive, the, the houses that we live in, all of those things are temporary. We were not designed or made or created to last for forever as far as our physical bodies are concerned. And so when death hits, especially when you don't see it coming, when death hits and you, and you did not see it coming, that's when you, you get the, the major stages of grief where shock sets in and then fear and then pain and anger and, and sometimes even guilt uh, will transition and come in depending on the type of death, right? If it was a very tragic death, if there was a lot of trauma, you know, uh, just an, an easy one to think about, unfortunately, is suicide. A lot of times, anytime you deal with suicide, people that are that were directly involved as far as uh, the family, they begin to think back and go, well, maybe if, if I would have noticed at that moment in time that, that they were really reaching out and crying out and calling for help, but, but nobody listened. We weren't paying enough attention, right? And so we end up beating ourselves up. See, and so uh, I want us to understand that I'm not saying that grieving physical death, that, that it's sinful. I, I'm certain I would never advocate that, that, that it is sinful because grief is not on uh, a necessary timetable. We need to be very, very careful with our communication in regards to how one ought to grieve. You know, healing can come quickly for, for some people and it might not be so quick for others. And so we have no right to, to pin people down and just to tell them, get over it. We, we have no right to do that to anyone because the reality is, is nothing can replace the person who has died. And so we need to be cautious and we need to be careful with our speech uh, with one another in, re in regards to physical death. I want to remind you all of the uh, cholera outbreak of in June of 1832. If you look back in history, President Andrew Jackson uh, himself was warned by his family to leave Washington, D.C. and to go back to Tennessee until that outbreak uh, subsided because it, it I mean, it just kind of hit all of a sudden in the United States. And from uh, the reports that I've seen from June 1st until November 1st of 1832, there were some 3,000 people who were who succumbed to it, who died from this cholera outbreak. And, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. was a very highly populated area as far as that, that suffered <laughs> that outbreak. And so he received, or he sent a letter, excuse me, he sent a letter to his daughter-in-law. And in that letter, it's revealed that he said, My dear Sarah, knowing that we that we have to die, we ought to live to be prepared to die well. And then let death come what it may, and we will meet it without alarm and be ready to say the Lord's will be done. What a sobering reminder that we have from uh, former President Andrew Jackson. Now, I'm not 
trying to put him on a pedestal or anything. But the reality is, is that we will all face and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hebrews 9.27 reveals to us, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes... Judgment. You know, uh, there's a lot of appointments that we we try our best to keep. We try to uh, fulfill and keep our word, right? We tell people, let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. If you if you have an appointment scheduled with someone or uh, to go to the doctor or to help someone in their time of need, if someone needs help moving or whatever, then keep that appointment. But the reality is, is life happens, right? And so sometimes things happen. And what do we do? Like for an example, a doctor's appointment. If you realize that you have a conflicting schedule, maybe uh, your wife has to go to the doctor and you didn't realize that. So you feel that your appointment's not as important as hers. So you call your doctor and you say, hey, uh, I'm going to need to reschedule my appointment. The Hebrew writer tells us, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. This is, a point, this is an appointment that we cannot reschedule. This is an appointment that we all must keep. And so with that thought in mind, let's think about this for just a moment. What's our desire after death? You know, I think of a song that's in an old, older hymnal, Sacred Selections, and it, the song is, After Death, What Then? And I just want to take a moment to read some of these verses from this song. This life will end some future day. Another life will then begin. Are you prepared for that event just after death? What then? The saved will have eternal life, and they will safely enter in to share the glories of the Lord just after death. What then? The lost will go into despair. Their torment there will then begin. They'll cry for mercy from the Lord just after death. What then? And then the chorus in uh, the final portion of the chorus goes, Just after death, oh, answer me, where will you spend eternity? When time on earth shall cease to be. Just after death, what then? You know, we have a, an example in the New Testament over in Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the talents, starting at verse 14 through, uh, essentially through the end of the chapter, through verse 30. However, I'm not going to uh, force you all to listen to me read that whole context. However, we read there in regards to uh, the, ma the slave or the servant with the five talents who ended up gaining five more talents and then the, the slave or the servant who had two talents who gained uh, two more talents. We see there in verse 21 and 23 in regards to them, their master said, well done, good and faithful 
slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And verse 23 reads uh, essentially identically. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Later on in chapter 25, we read in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, and you who are blessed of the Father, inherit the the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If our desire is to make heaven our home, then let's think about the judgment seat that we will stand before. How much calmer of a life, how much more composed would we be regarding our life when approaching our own deaths or even the deaths of others knowing that we have lived well? Because as President Andrew Jackson had soberly reminded us that we have to prepare to die well. Now, the unfortunate thing is that we have been conditioned, the world has conditioned us to fear death, right? Death is our enemy. And, and, you know, the reality is, is that when we fear something, when when something is our enemy... Right? We tend to fear it. We tend to, we're standoffish. We don't want to be involved with it. Uh, you know, thinking about our enemy, <clears throat> it was two weeks ago when I preached and I utilized the same example, uh, talking about Andrew Jackson, how he was a major general for the Tennessee militia. And, and, and those men, those soldiers, they kept arguing with one another. They were bickering. They were fighting with each other. And he had to gather them around, right? And he said, guys, he said, gentlemen, let us remember that the enemy is over there. The enemy is not within our circle. It's not within our camp. And so I want us to understand that in regards to death, Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, are we to fear death? Now, if you just ask that question and you don't really specify, you know, that, that's kind of a, it's a leading question. Right? Because it's, which way does it lead to? See? So, if you were to tell me or ask me, do I fear spiritual death? Absolutely, I fear spiritual death. However, in the scriptures, in the gospel, in the teachings of the gospel, the direct work of Christ of going to the cross and dying and being resurrected, I know that I have no reason to fear death. Am I to fear physical death? Absolutely not. Isaiah 41 verse 10 reads, For fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. And so Paul, 
he probably had a sense that that Timothy was uh, timid and shy, possibly. Uh, Timothy possibly had some fears that that needed to be addressed, and so uh, he wanted Timothy to understand that that this fear was not from God. Whatever fear it was, he doesn't need to be conditioned from the perspective of that this fear or that what comes of it is from God. We all face different situations from time to time, whether it's speaking in front of others or or whether we are afraid of confrontation or or if we're being made fun of or if we're being made out to be foolish, we're afraid of rejection. We all deal, deal with different kinds of fear. Nobody denies that. However, the first step in dealing with fears is understanding that these fears are not from God. And I want you to understand and be encouraged that this fear of death has never been intended nor come from God. And so when we have this condition where we just we go into this anxiety, this panic attack mode, that's not from God, folks. I'm not saying don't grieve. That's not what I'm saying. But understand that this is not from God. He does not want us living our lives walking on eggshells in regards to death. Think back to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Look at what Paul says. Be anxious for what? Nothing. He doesn't say be anxious for death. He doesn't say be anxious for for anything else. He says be anxious for nothing, but in everything, give by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at this. This is so beautiful. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding or comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this fear that we have of death, whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be death. It could be anything in our lives. This is not of God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 through 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 through 18. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has, God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that, look at this, so that we may have confidence in what day? In the day of judgment. What day has been appointed for us? For men to die. Because as he is, so also are we in this world, there is no fear in love. How do people know that we are Christians if we abide in the love of God and if we love one another? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Let's take a little closer look at death. 
Let's look at a few more passages this morning. Matthew chapter uh, 10, Matthew 10 verse 28, Jesus reminds us, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Does that put things into perspective yet in regards to death? Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out and be kamikazes in our life, go out and look out to find ways to die physically, right? That's not what I'm trying to get at. But rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the condition, the the principle that we see is that physical death doesn't stand anywhere near in the same view as spiritual death. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 15, and then we're going to drop down to verse 38 and 39. And then we will closely, we'll take a little closer look at in regard to uh, verse 15. So Romans 8 verse 15 will read, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then verse 38 and 39 in the text, For I am sure, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, look at that, Death, highlight that, underline it, understand. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, not a single thing, look at this, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been conditioned to fear death, and Paul says, do not fear death. Because remember, he, he encouraged Timothy. Look, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, of discipline. See? And so he's telling these Roman Christians here, there's not a single thing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God as long as you are in Christ Jesus. And then let's look a little more closely here at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Let me read it out of the King James just to get a different translation here. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Well, for starters, you know, the translators didn't help us out a whole lot when they didn't, they really had a hard time with the translation of the word spirit in, a, in several different contexts. In Romans chapter 8, it is no different. Uh, spirit in this verse, I submit to you, refers to one's disposition or attitude. And we need to understand that whatever the word spirit means regarding bondage, it must also mean regarding adoption. It can't mean one thing regarding bondage and then something totally different in regards to adoption because then, I mean, what is, what is it that we always tell people? Context, context, context. 
And so the question is, is if we want to make this word spirit to be made out to be the Holy Spirit, the question that one that you must ask yourself, in what sense can anybody conclude that the Holy Spirit be referred to as the spirit of bondage? If you can show me one passage in the New Testament or old that teaches that principle, you might just have a point. But the problem is, is people are unlearned, they are ignorant in the scriptures, they do not study, they do not, they're not diligent to rightly divide the word of truth. And anytime they see the word spirit or Holy Ghost or anything, it just blows their mind. So let's look at this a little more closely. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So if this is our attitude, our disposition on life that's in Christ Jesus, see, remember, that's why we read verse 38 and 39. I am convinced that neither death, see, nor anything, any other created thing, will separate us from the love of God. What is, is, do we believe that? Is that our attitude? Is that our, is that our disposition? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. So, instead of being moved by fear as slaves, the child of God, the faithful child of God, we render trust, trusting obedience to God at that, right? For without faith, it is impossible to please him. We must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seeks him. Hebrews eleven six. And so therefore, because we render trust and obedience to God, we can confidently call upon him as our father. See, that's, verse, that's the end of verse uh, 15. By which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the spirit of fear that, that Paul's talking about, you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear. That spirit of fear is now displaced because of your faith and trust and obedience to God. It's replaced by what? You've received a spirit of adoption. So it's now a spirit of reverence. It's a spirit of trust. It's a spirit of worship. That is what Paul's trying to get us to understand. And if we don't see it here, then let's look over at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. The Hebrew writer reveals to us, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render, render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free, look at this, and might free, those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Who is he talking to there or talking, talking about? Hebrew writers talking about the Jews. They were under the law. Jews under the law were in subjection to the bondage of sin and served God merely out of fear and death their whole life long. And so what what the Hebrew writer's trying to tell us is, and what Paul's trying to get us to understand in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 15, is that the work of Christ, 
the cross and the resurrection, that puts a stop to that type of attitude and that type of disposition of the life of fear. See, that's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. And let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, now look at this. This is also showing us what our attitude and disposition should be. Therefore, let us draw near with what? Confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this justification by grace through faith that we, that we can have through the gospel, through the work of Jesus, the work of Christ, we don't have to fear, serve God in fear. We serve God in assurance that we are sons who come to his throne for grace. We go to the loving father and he understands our problems. He understands our pain. He understands our grief. And he loves us anyways. Now, let's look at a little bit more, uh, more scriptures in regards to death. Psalms 116 verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Though we view death as a curse and, and we don't view it in a kindly manner, the reality is, is that it is, it is precious to us as believers in Christ. Because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints because the death of his saints removes all, any and all barriers that, that stands between us and God. And that physical death that we will eventually taste in our life gives us the final, true, and complete healing that we have in Christ Jesus. Before Richard Baxter's death, he was an English theologian. He died around 1691. Someone had asked him as he was sick and dying, they asked him, how are you? And as he was dying, his response was almost well. I want us to think about that. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's start at verse 13. Because Paul is trying to get these Christians in Thessalonica to understand he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He does not want to, them to be uninformed, as the New American Standard renders it. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, he's not talking about an actual sleep. He's not talking about a coma. He's talking about those who are actually, literally, dead. Physically, they have, they've died, and their, their spirit is now separated from their bodies. 
We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Okay, well, let's think about that whole no hope uh, mentality. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, if this is the only life we have, the only life that we get, and there's no other life to come, think about this. We are of all men most to be pitied. See? And so when people go through life, and whether it's they don't believe in God, they, they don't believe in Christianity, they don't believe in a sense of community, they don't believe in anything. I mean, they're just miserable, horrible people. And they live miserable lives. Because they have no hope. This is all that they have. And so whatever it is that they have, they realize they don't have the world. They don't even have that. And so, look, I don't want you to grieve as, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so it's death, burial, resurrection, see, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Have we seen any passage yet that would suggest to us that we are to fear death? That we should stand trembling at the thought of physically dying? That we should concern ourselves and, and stress ourselves out and raise our blood pressure and, and just get physically ill over the thought of dying? John in Revelation 14 verse 12 and 13, it reads, Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard the voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that we may rest from their, so that they may rest from their labors and for their deeds follow them. I'm still reading and saying that blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Are we prepared to die well? Are we living well? Here's some final thoughts for you. Death is not an accident. Now, there may be accidents that causes death, but physical death is no accident. We, we as Christians, we've never been promised an immunity from physically dying. That's never been a promise. The promise that we receive is that we can be healed through Jesus, have our sins washed away, and that we will be kept from spiritually dying. But physical death is no accident. And that death gives us, let's, let's just put this in perspective for just a moment. Death gives us eternal rest from our labors. 
So whatever it is that ails you, whether it's actual disease or cancer or whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be anything as serious as that. You're done with that. Those things have passed on as you have passed on. Death, as we continue that thought, puts us in a place of transition where, uh, you know, we sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Death transitions us from this temporary place and it puts us in a permanent place. So our life has not ended. I would say it's only just begun as our life continues throughout all of eternity. And if that doesn't wake us up, I mean, you just think about the amount of time that we live here, whether it's 50 years or 100 years. That's not even a speck or a grain of of sand in the sense of eternity. So whatever problems we're having here, we can either continue to wallow in those problems and then not get right with God and then be forever remained in those types of those similar same problems as far as tormenting ourselves or we can submit our lives to Jesus come to him and be prepared to die well I hope this lesson has been encouraging for you all I hope it benefits you in some way I know It's not pleasant to lose a loved one. But when you realize and understand that that loved one was a faithful child of God and that they now have eternal rest in Christ Jesus and they are now truly healed from the woes of this world, death is precious to us as believers.